Last week we looked at how God, along with uh, Moses and the leadership of Israel, is, is organizing the people. Uh, they're organizing them to leave Mount Sinai. They have been there about a year, and now they're getting ready to leave Mount Sinai and journey toward the Promised Land. So what we're expecting is a nice couple of weeks stroll through the wilderness and uh, walk into the Promised Land and check into the hotel, and everything will be great. Um, However, that's not what we're going to find today. Um, God has taken this group of people from being slaves in Egypt and by His mighty power has freed them from the hand of the greatest nation on earth. By His mighty power, He's parted a Red Sea that they could walk through on dry ground and be delivered through His mighty power. He has brought them as a people and made covenant with them. Uh, gave them the law, gave them a tabernacle where his presence could dwell among them, uh, made a way for them to uh, be a holy people, a peculiar people, a holy nation unto him, in order to take them in, into a journey into a land of promise, into a land that is flowing with milk and honey, into a land that they will truly be blessed in, that they would be a light to the nations. Uh, but we've seen what kind of people God is dealing with. They are not the easiest people in the world to get along with. We saw this back in Exodus. It did not take them long when they came out of, of Egypt to start complaining uh, about the food that they had to eat, about that they did not have any water. And, and in Exodus, God, the early parts of Exodus, God graciously provides for his people. He gives them manna by day, he gives them water out of a rock. He, he takes their complaints and, and he provides for his people. When he brings them to the mountain and he gives them the law, uh, Moses goes up on the mountain and the people begin to rebel. They build a golden calf and said, this is the God that brought us out of the land of Egypt. And then God was angry with his people, ready to kill his people and get rid of them and start over again. Well, Moses talks God down off the ledge, if you will, and God spares uh, the majority of the people, not without judgment, and, and we continue on in our journeys. Now we get here where we're moving from the mountain on toward the promised land, and if it, I guess the theme is if it could go wrong, it will go wrong uh, here again, because what we see is the hearts and the attitude of the people rise up again against Moses, against Aaron, and against God. And uh, we see uh, God's ultimate punishment to his people that they must wander in the wilderness for 40 years until they all perish in the wilderness, those 20 years of age and older. We see episode after episode of people complaining against God and Moses, people challenging Moses' leadership. And we see time and time again God's judgment come upon people. So this part of Numbers um, is, is not a pleasant read. Um, but we see the hearts and the attitudes of the people, which we saw last week that Paul says are an example. Uh, that, that, that the believers should not follow in their footsteps, but that we should be people of faith. We should be people that trust God. We should be people that, that enter into our, our promised land, that enter into the rest that God has for us and the blessings that God has for us, and to learn from the mistakes of the people here 
wandering in the wilderness. So we're going to begin in chapter 10. And chapter 10, as you see on your paper, verses 11 through 36, um, this is just everybody kind of getting in order. If you notice in chapter 10, verse number 11 of the book of Numbers, it says, In the second year, in the second month, on the 20th day of the month, the cloud lifted from over the tabernacle of the testimony, and the people of Israel set out by stages from the wilderness of Sinai. And the cloud settled in the wilderness of Paran. They set out for the first time at the command of the Lord by Moses. The standard of the camp of the people of Judah set out first by their companies, and then it lists uh, the rest of the companies that the people uh, went out by. So this is what God had said. God had said uh, the cloud of glory that stands over the tabernacle, when it begins to lift up and move, you are to pack up the camp, assemble in order, and move with it. So we're seeing finally this movement coming from Mount Sinai, the cloud lifting and the people moving out. So if you go down to verse number 33 of Numbers chapter 10, it says, So they set out from the mount of the Lord three days' journey, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them three days' journey to seek out a resting place for them. And the cloud of the Lord was over them by day whenever they set out from the camp. And whenever the ark set out, Moses said, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered. God's people are on the move. Beware. Let, let your enemies be scattered. Let those who hate you flee before you. And when the cloud rested, he would say, Return, O Lord, to the ten thousand thousands of Israel. So we've made a three-day journey, and so far, so good. So there may be hope, right? Until we read chapter 11, verse number 1, which says, And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortune. So in chapters 11 and 12, we see the people complain. And we see really three different um, complaints here. Uh, one is a very short complaint, the first three verses. The next one begins in verse number four, and um, we see the ripple effect of that. And then the third one is in chapter 12, where the complaints against Moses actually comes from Miriam and Aaron. Uh, so in chapters 11 and 12, we have these three different complaints. So let's look at each one. Uh, the optimism is uh, shattered here when we get to chapter 11, verse 1. Three stories tell of different groups complaining about Moses' leadership and the difficulties of the journey. The first and the shortest complaint is typical of all three, and they include four elements. The first element is the complaint itself. The second element is God's anger and judgment. The third element is Moses' intercession. The fourth element is the naming of the place, a certain name, a certain Hebrew name, where this complaint happens and what happens to the people. So you can see there's kind of these elements that happen in each one of the instances of the people complaining. So the first complaint uh, is in verses 1 through 3. It says in verse number 1 of chapter 11, The people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So the name of that place was called Tibera. 
because the fire of the Lord burned among them. So the first complaint is kind of a general complaint about their misfortunes, about the just kind of the situation that they are in. Obviously, this group doesn't travel well. If you've ever traveled with young kids in the car, you understand complaining about misfortunes. I'm too hot. I'm too cold. You know, I have to go to the bathroom. You know, she's, she's playing on my tablet. They're hitting each other. Uh, so I've traveled with two in the back seat. Imagine traveling with two million in the back seat. You're going to have some complaints, and that's what's happening here. The people are complaining about their misfortunes. It's only been three days they've been traveling, but they're already complaining. Uh, they go to Moses. Uh, Moses, or God is angry. Moses cries out to the Lord. Um, the fire dies down, but yet the fire of the Lord is consuming uh, the outer parts of the camp. So that's the first complaint. The second complaint begins in verse number 4. It says, Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. Verse 5 of chapter 11, We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. So their second complaint was the complaint about the food that they had to eat or the lack of food thereof they had to eat versus what they had back in Egypt. In verse number 10, it says, Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans, everyone at the door of his tent, and the anger of the Lord blazed hotly. And Moses was displeased. Moses said to the Lord, Why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you laid the burden of all this people upon me? Now we've already seen, let me just pause right here and say, now we've already seen God and Moses' relationship. Um, let's just say they can speak freely to one another. Uh, we've seen it before back in Exodus uh, where the people are complaining and uh, God is angry. And what does Moses do? He said, these are your people. Uh, and and God had said, no, these are your people. And Moses said, no, these are the people you led out. And really, God and Moses, if you remember, they were playing this blame game with one another uh, over whose people they were. Uh, so Moses and God have a pretty tight relationship uh, right here to be able to speak freely one of another. Um, so Moses uh, comes in here now and um, he says, you know, why did you lay this burden of the people on me? He says in verse 12, Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth that you should say to me, Carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries her child? Verse 13 says, Where am I to get meat to give to all this people? Um, so Moses is like, Why is this all on me? You know, how did I... You know, I didn't birth all these people. These are your people. Why am I having the burden? Where am I going to get meat? Uh, so the answer to this is um, the Lord gathers 70 men of the elders of Israel, and he takes part of the spirit that is on Moses, and he places it upon these elders. And he says uh, in verse number 17, I will come down and talk with you there. I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them. They shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you may not bear it yourself alone. So if you remember back in Exodus, the first time that this happened and all the people were complaining, they were wearying Moses because all he was doing day in and day out were hearing these small complaints from all the people. Uh, and it was wearing him down. 
Um, not ironically enough, I was just talking to a pastor who called me this morning and said, my people are at my door all the time complaining. What do I do? Uh, so this is what happens today. So I was talking to my friend this morning trying to encourage him. Um, but all these people are complaining every day. So what does Moses' father-in-law does? He tells him to divide the people, put leaders, put elders over them so they can hear the small matters. And if there's any large matters, bring them to you. Uh, so he broke down the people and he appointed leaders over the people uh, so that it wouldn't wear him down. And the same thing is happening here. Uh, so this time he takes 70 elders uh, to help bear the burden of the people with Moses. Uh, and then he says down in verse number uh, 18, toward the bottom of verse 18, it says, Therefore the Lord will give you meat and you shall eat. You shall not eat just one day or two days or five days or ten days or twenty days, but a whole month. He said, I'm going to provide enough food, enough meat for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and because loathsome to you because you have rejected the Lord who is among you. Uh, so the spirit rested upon these elders. Then when you go over to verse number 31 down through 35, uh, the, a wind from the Lord sprang up and it brought quail from the sea and let them fall beside the camp. A day's journey on this side and a day's journey on the other side about two cubits, which is about 36 inches, above the ground. And the people rose all that day and all that night and gathered quail all day long. They gathered, uh, those who gathered least gathered ten homers and those who spread them out all around the camp while the meat was between their teeth before it was consumed. The anger of the Lord was kindled against the people. So before they could even eat it, the anger of the Lord is kindled against the people and he struck down the people with a very great plague. And then we have a renaming a naming of the place there. So the second complaint is about the food. Well, God gave them food, but also sent uh, a plague among the people. Then we see the third complaint, and the third complaint comes from Moses' very own uh, family, those closest to him, Miriam and Aaron. So if you notice in chapter 12, verse 1, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman who he had married. For he had married a Cushite woman, and they said... Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the next verse is a pretty comical verse because traditional scholars believe that Moses wrote the Pentateuch. And it's just so interesting that Moses writes these words. Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. Uh, so are you really the meekest man if you have to write, I'm the meekest person on the face of the earth? Uh, so I wrote a question mark and ha-ha beside that verse. Um, Moses humble bragging there uh, by writing that he himself is the most meekest person on the face of the earth. Um, and then Moses and Aaron come out before God. And basically God is angry with, with, I mean, with Miriam and Aaron. He's angry with Miriam and Aaron. Miriam becomes leprous like snow. Uh, and thus she becomes unclean, because we just went through in Leviticus all of the clean and unclean, the skin diseases. Well, because they spoke against Moses and his leadership, Miriam becomes unclean. She becomes leprous. Of course, they plead with God to save her life. Um, oh God, please heal her. But the Lord said to Moses, um, if her father had, this is verse number 13 or 14, if her father had but spit in her eyes face, should she not be ashamed seven days? Let her be shut outside the camp 
for seven days, and after that she may be brought in again. So Miriam basically becomes unclean, and she's have to put outside the camp, and that is the punishment there for her and with her skin disease. So we see three different complaints. We see a general complaint about the misfortune. We see the complaint about food, where God sends quail and also a plague. And then we see the complaint of Miriam and Aaron against Moses' leadership, where Miriam becomes leprous, she becomes unclean, and she has to be put outside of the camp. Now, you might would think that the people of Israel would learn from their mistakes, that they would learn against their complaining, they would learn against not trusting God. I mean, because they've complained, God's been angry, there's been punishments, uh, but each time God you know, has, has relented, but things are getting ready to get worse from here on out. So when we enter into chapter 13 of the book of Numbers, we find the story, and this is a familiar story to us, but it's the story of the 12 spies. The story of the 12 spies. Uh, arriving at Kadesh, the Israelites reached the southern border of Canaan, as defined in Numbers 34.4. They will very shortly enter the promised land. At God's command, a man from each tribe is sent out to spy out the land. They return with a glowing account of its wealth and fertility, but claim it will be impossible to conquer. So in chapter 13, verse 1, the Scripture says, or in Numbers 13, verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. How many times has God said... I am giving this land. I will give this land to you. That's what the whole covenant was based upon. And they've watched God's promises and they've watched God's power time after time after time. They see, they also watch God's punishments. Uh, hey, that, that's a good three-point outline, his promises, his power, and his punishments. Hey, that's a good Baptist sermon right there. Uh, so you've got a three-point alliterated outline of how they've seen God's promises and power, but they've seen his punishments. So you would think they would say, Okay, God, we will trust you. We know what happens when we don't trust you. So we're going to trust you. You've given us this land. So we're going to walk in the land by faith, doing what you've called us to do. So you would think that's what would happen here, but that's not what happens. So they send out spies into the land from each tribe of their father. So there's 12 tribes that are sent out. Uh, and they're you know, beginning with verse number uh, four, you have the names of those who were sent out into the land, and they were to spy out the land. Uh, and then in verse 25, it says, at the end of 40 days, so they were there for 40 days, they returned from spying out the land, and they came to Moses and Aaron and to the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation. They showed them the fruit of the land, and they told him, we came to the land, to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, however, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. He said, and besides the descendants of Anak were there, which were supposedly giants, the Amalekites and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites and the Canaanites, they all dwell in these different areas. Yeah, the termites and the... 
and all these other ites. So they're saying, listen, we're just one people and there's all these people that are there. Yeah, the land is good, but I don't think we can do this. But then Caleb, in verse 30, quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Caleb says, Okay, we've spotted out. Sure, that's true. There's all these people there. But let's go up at once and occupy it. Now, they're there at the promised land. They are standing at the door. They're standing at the promised land. It is there. And it is theirs because God has promised it to them. Verse 31 says, Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against this people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who came from the Nephilim, giants. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seemed to them. So this begins a turning point. God can handle their complaints. We've already seen that. This is a, another national rebellion. This is along the lines of Exodus 32. When, you remember when the, Moses was up on the mountain and the people are building the golden calf and God is ready to come down and wipe them out and start all over with a brand new people. This is that national rebellion. And this is the report that brings it about. So in chapter 14, it says in verse 1, All the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Now, the first complaint was coming out of Egypt. And you remember they said, why did you bring us out here in the wilderness to die? Would to God that we would have died in Egypt. And now they've said, would to God that we would have died in Egypt or that we would have died in the wilderness. Now you've brought us to this land where they will kill us and we will die by the sword. And our wives and our children will become prey. Then they say in verse 4, notice this in 14.4. They said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. That's like the worst thing you could say. That's like, we're going to find a new dad to take us back home. We don't want to go on this trip. You know, that's, this is not a good thing for Israel at all. It puts the covenant in jeopardy. Because you remember, we, always, we said at the beginning, always keep an eye on the covenant. Because what's the covenant? The covenant is how God will bring redemption through. It's through these descendants of Abraham that God will bring Jesus to, through. And God will bring redemption to the world through. So all of this is part of that promise. So to go back to the land of Egypt is to threaten the covenant, which threatens God's redemptive 
plan. But thank God, it's not up to the people to fulfill the covenant. God keeps watch over His covenant. And we've already seen that no matter how the people respond, God is still going to fulfill His covenant. And God is still going to fulfill His promise. He might do it through a new generation. He might do it through a different tribe or a different clan. But God will fulfill His promise. If the people of Israel will not go along with it, then He'll let them wander in the wilderness until they're gone and He'll take a new generation. But He will fulfill His promise. Um, So uh, Moses and God begin to have this conversation They have now rebelled against God. They've rebelled against Moses. And if you go down to verse number 11 of chapter 14, the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people despise me? How long will they not believe me in spite of all the signs that I've done among them? I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them. And I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. So God's getting ready to say, I'm getting ready to wipe them out, disown them, and start again. That's the same thing. And this is to draw our attention back. All these is to draw our attention back to Exodus 32. And and God says basically the same thing. Um, I don't know if I can find the exact wording. Um, Okay. Um, Let me just read to you, you can just write it down if you're taking notes. Exodus 32.10. Exodus 32.10 is when God says, Now therefore leave me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against this people, that I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. So already at one time, God was ready to get rid of the people and start over again. And what, what happens in Exodus 32 is Moses implored of the Lord uh, to not do this. And he does it on the basis of, think of what the Egyptians will say. God, if you wipe all these people out and start over, how will you look? Now this is how Moses walked on some shaky ground. He said, God, how will you look to all your enemies? Are they going to fear you? Are they going to think that you're some great God if you can't keep your promise to these people? So Moses is very bold when he talks to God. We saw that in Exodus 32. He specifically says, should the Egyptians say um, you know, that, that God can do this? The Lord has relented on bringing this people out. That God, you're going to look bad. Well, what happens here is the same thing. So in Numbers chapter 14... Verse 13, Moses says, Then the Egyptians will hear of it, for you brought them up from this people in your might from among them. They will tell the inhabitants of the land. They had heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of the people, for you, O Lord, are seen face to face. Your cloud stands over them. You go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now if you kill this people as one man, then the nation's who have heard your fame will say, is it because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land? So Moses is saying to God, the people are going to say, oh, is Yahweh not able? Their God is not able to bring them into the land. And then he reminds the Lord that the Lord is slow to, verse 18, the Lord is slow to anger. 
abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression. He won't clear the guilty. He'll forgive it, but he won't clear the, the guilty. He visits the iniquity of the fathers on the children, third and fourth generation. And then he says, please pardon the iniquity of this people. So Moses is begging God, pardon the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your steadfast love. Just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. Then the Lord said, I've pardoned according to your word. Man, think about that. I have pardoned according to your word. But truly as I live and all the earth is filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test to test me these ten times and have not obeyed my voice shall see the land that I swore to their fathers. And none of them who's despised me shall see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit, and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. And the Lord spoke, verse 26, The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I've heard the grumblings of the people. Say to them, As long as I live, declares the Lord, you have said in my hearing, I will do this to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness, and all of your number listed in the census from 20 years old and upward, who have grumbled against me, not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell except for Caleb and Joshua. So that's, that's God's bold judgment against His people. They are standing at the border, ready to possess it. And God says, it shall not happen because of your rebellion because of your unbelief. So all those that were counted in the census from 20 years and older, we're going to walk around this wilderness until you all fall in the wilderness. And then on top of that, in verse 36 of chapter 14, it says, And the men who Moses sent to spy out the land returned and made all the congregation grumble against him. Uh, verse 37, the end of verse 37 says, They died by plague before the Lord. Of those men who went out to spy out the land, only Joshua and Caleb remained alive. So all of the spies, the ten spies that brought the bad report, um, they perished by plague. Then the people say, okay, now we're ready to go up and fight. Now the rebellious people So now we're ready to go up and fight and take the land. <laughs> and Moses says, you don't want to do that because God's not with you. He's not going to give you victory because he's already told you, you've rebelled. Uh, verse 44 says, But they presumed to go up to the hill, the heights of the hill country, although neither the ark of the covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed out of the camp. And the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in that hill country came down and defeated them and pursued them. So they were not going to have any victory because God already told them, Your, your chance is done. You will wander in the wilderness. They thought they could still go up and fight. God was not with them. The ark was not with them. Moses was not with them. And they were defeated by the Amalekites and the Canaanites. So the three issues of rebellion and complaints mixed along with the spies going into the land brings judgment upon that whole generation in uh, the wilderness that came out of Egypt. So therefore, the next generation... 
will be those who never knew slavery. They never knew Egypt. And they're starting, God is starting all over again with the next generation of people. But we're going to see they're not perfect people either. They're just like their parents. Um, so, all right, let me catch up where I'm in my paper because I didn't follow my, my paper. All right, on the back, uh, on the back of, did y'all notice we only had one page today in that amazing? Trying to save some trees. Um, chapter 15, um, we go back into law. If you remember, uh, we go from narrative into uh, chapter 2 of some laws, back into the narrative, chapter 2 of some laws. Uh, chapter 15 is laws, but it's laws that give hope. It's laws that give hope because here's how chapter 15 starts. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land you are to inhabit, which I am giving you. So the promise still stands. The covenant still stands. So God's already looking ahead still to when the people enter the land. And he's going to give laws about sacrifice here. Uh, When they enter the land, he's going to give laws about uh, unintentional sin and intentional sin. Uh, We saw what happened um, with uh, those that offered strange fire on the altar. Uh, Here, toward the end of chapter 15, about verse 32, um, there was a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. Uh, He's breaking the Sabbath. Uh, Therefore, they brought him to Moses. Uh, And then the Lord said to Moses, the man shall be put to death. Uh, And this man who was breaking the Sabbath is stoned with stones outside of the camp. So we continue to see the curse of the law happen through these punishments. You may say, well, that's pretty harsh. A guy was just picking up some stones. He was gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. He was breaking the law. And the law brings death. Uh, So he broke the law and the curse of the law says you are to die in these instances. So again, the curse of the law. The law brings death. Um, so there's some laws in chapter 15. Chapter 16, we have another rebellion. Another rebellion. This time in chapter 16, Korah, uh, the son of Kohath, which was the son of Levi. So Korah was in the priestly tribe. He gathers some people together which gathers 250 chiefs of the congregation together, and they go and assemble against Moses. So now we have another rebellion against Moses' leadership. Here's what they say. Verse number 3 of chapter 16. They assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, You have gone too far, for all in the congregation are holy, every one of them. And the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the people? They said, look, everybody, everybody out here is holy and the Lord is with them. Why do you think that you're special? Uh, so now we have another rebellion. And they respond in verse, the end of verse 7 by saying, You've gone too far, sons of Levi. Moses said to Korah, Is it too small a thing that God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel? Basically, aren't you thankful? what God has done for you and for your tribe. So they said, let's put this to the test. Let's see who is really holy in Israel. Let's see who God is really with. Because we say, Moses, we say that God is with us, that God has chosen us, and that we are holy. But you say everybody's holy. God is with them. 
and you have 250 men here to represent. So let's just find out who is really holy. Let's see whose side God is on. It's verse 17 of chapter 16. Let every one of you take his censer and put incense in it. Every one of you bring before the Lord his censer 250 and Aaron each his censer. Um, so every man took his censer, stood at the entrance of the tent of the meeting. Verse 19, Korah assembled the congregation against them. The glory of the Lord appeared to the congregation. Verse 20, the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron saying, Separate yourselves from among the people that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin and you be angry with all the congregation? And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Say to the congregation, Get away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And um, so they went through the camp. They told them to get away from the dwellings of all these, of the th of these three men and their families. Verse number 28 Moses said, Hereby you shall know the Lord has sent me to do all these works, that it has not been of my own accord. If these men die, as all men die, they die a natural death. Or if they are visited by the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. He says, we're going to put this to the test. These men are going to die. We're going to see if they die natural deaths. And if they die a natural death like all other men, then the Lord has not sent me. Verse 30 says, but if the Lord creates something new and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them and they go down alive into Sheol. That's the first time we've encountered the word Sheol and death or the word hell that we might would, would say. I don't know how it's translated in every Bible, but Sheol. You shall know that these men have despised the Lord. So are they going to die a natural death or is this going to be something supernatural? However it happens, we'll see which side the Lord is on and if I am truly called to lead or not. Verse 31 says, As soon as he finished speaking these words, the ground under them split apart. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods. So they and all that belonged to them went down alive into Sheol, and the earth closed over them, and they perished in the midst of the assembly. And all Israel who were around them fled at their cry, said, Lest the earth swallow us up. The fire came out from the Lord and consumed 250 men offering the incense. So we see here another judgment upon the people who rebelled against Moses' leadership. And if that wasn't enough, I'm getting weary just reading all this. Down in verse 41 of chapter 16. But on the next day, all the congregation of the people grumbled against Moses and Aaron, saying, now you've killed the people of the Lord. I mean, it's just one thing after another. You know, first their mis you know, first their misfortunes, and then the food, and then Miriam and Aaron grumbling, and then the twelve spies, and then, you know, Korah, you know, comes against because of you know Moses' leadership. And now once God proves them, people are still testing Moses. I don't know about you, but if there was a leader and everybody that spoke against them died. I'd keep my mouth shut, okay? I'd go live in my tent, you know, watch YouTube all day and just let it be. 
But now they go up and they point a finger in Moses' face saying, you have killed your own people. You've killed the people of the Lord. And here we go again. Verse 44, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, get away from the midst of the congregation that I may consume them in a moment. Here we go again. And they fell on their faces. Moses said to Aaron, take your censer, put fire in it and lay incense on it and carry it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. So they're still begging God not to do this. So what are they doing? They're making a quick effort that God would atone for the sin of the people. Which says something about Moses and Aaron. Because if probably if any of us were in their shoes, we'd probably be like, get them, Lord. Get them all. But in every time, they're like, God, is there another way? God, can you spare them? So they say, quickly, let's go light a torch, get some incense, light a censer, and let's make atonement for the people. And Aaron took it, ran into the midst of the people, and behold, the plague had already begun among the people. But verse 48 says, And he stood between the dead and the living, and the plague stopped. Now those who died in the plague were 14,700, besides those who died in the affair of Korah. And Aaron returned to Moses at the entrance of the tent of meeting when the plague was stopped. So Moses and Aaron make atonement for the people and the plague stopped before everybody was consumed. Um, Continuing on chapter 17, um, the Lord speaks to Moses, tells the people to get staffs, 12 staffs, one for each tribe and write Aaron's name on one of the staff for Levi. Verse number 6, Moses spake to the people, all the chiefs gave staffs, one of each chief according to the house of the father, twelve staffs. Verse 8, on the next day Moses went into the tent of testimony, behold the staff of Aaron, for the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth buds and produced blossoms and it bore ripe almonds. Moses brought it out, brought out all the staffs from the Lord to the people. They looked and each man took his staff and the Lord said to Moses, put back the staff of Aaron before the testimony to be kept as a sign for the rebels. So that's showing, that's in essence showing God's presence and approval upon Aaron. So we've seen God come to the defense of Moses by opening up the earth and swallowing uh, Korah and those in his rebellion. And now Aaron's rod that buds, where the other rods did not bud, shows that Aaron is approved and called by God. So God is putting his stamp of approval on Moses and Aaron in front of all of the people. Um, Then uh, back on our paper uh, to finish up chapters 18 and 19, we won't go through those uh, verse by verse. Um, But toward the uh, under 16 through 18 core leads rebellion, the last paragraph, this demonstration that only priests should approach God leads into chapter 18 which summarizes the duties and income of the priests and Levites. So now we're going back into the duties of of the priests and the Levites. The Levites' role as guardians of the tabernacle, preventing unauthorized persons from entry, is reaffirmed. Remember, they were supposed to be the barrier around the tabernacle from the people. Um, Then the income of the priests from sacrifices and newborn animals is set out, 8 through 20. The Levites receive tithes in acknowledgement of their service in guarding the tabernacle and thereby protecting the people from God's wrath. So through the tithes of the people is how the priests were, were provided for. More precisely, they are given a tithe of all the agricultural produce, uh, from which in turn they give a tithe to 
the priests. So the Levites and the priests, remember they had separate categories. So they tied to the priests. So that's duties about the priests and the Levites. Then in chapter 19, death, uh, as we noted in discussing Leviticus, caused the worst of uncleanness. If you haven't noticed, there's been a lot of death in the chapters before us. Those who come near to God must be free of all pollution. In the last few chapters, people from every walk of life have died. And the whole community has been polluted. It is possible to deal with such pollution by offering a sin offering. This one of a red heifer, a female uh, cow. Um, But it's expensive and complicated here. Is an instant sin offering provided instead by burning a red cow, cedar wood, hyssop, and scarlet yawn all of which have atoning properties. Special ash is created when mixed with water, another cleansing agent. The ash can be sprinkled on the people to purify them from corpse pollution. Uh, So that is how the people would be uh, cleansed from all of the death that was around them. That brings us to the end of chapter 19, um, which we're going to pause there and pick up uh, next time. So that's... A lot to digest. There's been a lot of rebellion, starting with the three complaints that we saw at the beginning, the general complaint about their misfortunes, the complaint uh, about the food, Miriam, and, uh, and then the spies, and then Korah's rebellion. Uh, so God is showing, Yahweh is showing he's not to be messed with. You know, he's, these are his people. This is his covenant, and he's not to be messed with. And nothing is going to derail his covenant. And he'll wait and let them wander in the wilderness. Until then, he'll open up the earth and swallow them whole. But God's protecting his holiness. He's protecting his covenant. He's protecting his promise to the people in spite of all their rebellion. So in spite of all their complaints, in spite of all their rebellion, and in spite of all the judgments, God is still with them. And he's still bringing them into the land where they will inhabit. Um, Going forward, we see kind of the end of an era. We're seeing this generation die out. They're wandering in the wilderness. We're going to see Miriam's death, Aaron's death. Uh, So we're seeing this shift now uh, toward the end of this first generation into the next generation. So we'll look at the... The next week we'll look at the third kind of scene as we've saw the preparation. Now we've seen the rebellion. Then we'll see the next generation next week. Any-